European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 43, Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies, by Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Mechanisms of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, risk stratification of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and new light on resistance to diuretics in acute decompensated heart failure. This focus issue on heart failure and cardiomyopathies contains the state-of-the-art review Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction in Humans and Mice Embracing Clinical Complexity in Mouse Models by Koenraad Vittar from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands and colleagues. The authors note that heart failure, or HF, with preserved ejection fraction, or HEFPEF, is a multifactorial disease accounting for a large and increasing proportion of all clinical HF presentations. As a clinical syndrome, HEFPEF is characterized by typical signs and symptoms of HF, a distinct cardiac phenotype, and raised natriuretic peptides. Non-cardiac comorbidities frequently coexist and contribute to the pathophysiology of HEFPEF. Recently, two clinical algorithms HFA-PEF and H2-FPEF scores have been developed to improve and standardize the diagnosis of HEFPEF. In this review, the authors evaluate the translational utility of HEFPEF mouse models in the context of HEFPEF scores. They systematically recorded evidence of symptoms and signs of HF or clinical HEFPEF features and included several cardiac and extracardiac parameters, as well as age and sex for each HEFPEF mouse model. The authors found that most of the preclinical HEFPEF models do not meet the HEFPEF clinical criteria, although some multifactorial models resemble human HEFPEF to a reasonable extent. Bittar et al. therefore conclude that to optimize the translational value of mouse models to human HEFPEF, a novel approach for the development of preclinical HEFPEF models is needed, taking into account the complex HEFPEF pathophysiology in humans. In a second state-of-the-art review article entitled Untangling the Pathophysiologic Link Between Coronary Microvascular Dysfunction and Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction, Aish Sinha from King's College London in the United Kingdom and colleagues note that coronary microvascular disease, or CMD, characterized by impaired coronary flow reserve, or CFR, is a common finding in patients with stable angina. Impaired CFR in the absence of obstructive coronary artery disease is also present in up to 75% of patients with HEFPEF. Heart failure with preserved ejection fraction is a heterogeneous syndrome comprising distinct endotypes and it has been hypothesized that CMD lies at the center of the pathogenesis of one such entity, the CMD-HEFPEF endotype. This article provides a contemporary review of the pathophysiology underlying CMD, with a focus on the mechanistic link between CMD and HEFPEF. The authors discuss the central role played by subendocardial ischemia and impaired lucitropy in the development of CMD stroke HEFPEF as well as the clinical and research implications of the CMD-HEFPEF mechanistic link. Future prospective follow-up studies detailing outcomes in patients with CMD and HEFPEF are much needed, 
to enhance our understanding of the pathological processes driving these conditions, which may lead to the development of physiology-stratified therapy to improve the quality of life and prognosis in these patients. Regional and racial stroke ethnic differences in the incidence of and outcomes related to HF with reduced ejection fraction, or HEF-REF, have been reported in both observational studies and global clinical trials. These regional and ethnic differences may reflect differences in patient characteristics, comorbidities, medical practice and healthcare delivery. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Regional and Ethnic Influences on the Response to Empagliflozin in Patients with Heart Failure and Reduced Ejection Fraction, the EMPRA Reduced Trial. Caroline Lam and colleagues from the National Heart Center Singapore explore the influence of region and race stroke ethnicity on the effects of empagliflozin in the empagliflozin outcome trial in patients with chronic heart failure and reduced ejection fraction, or EMPRA-reduced trial. Of 3,730 patients, 1,353, or 36%, were enrolled in Europe, 1,286, or 34%, in Latin America, 425, or 11%, in North America, and 493, or 13%, in Asia. 2,629, or 70%, were white, 257, or 7%, black, and 672, or 18%, Asian. Placebo event rates per 100 patient years for cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization varied by region, Asia 28, North America 26, Latin America 21 and Europe 17, and race stroke ethnicity, black 34, Asian 24 and white 18, driven by the differences in HF hospitalization. The ratio of total HF hospitalization to cardiovascular death varied from 5.4 in Asia and 4.8 in North America to 2.1 in Europe, and from 4.8 in black and 4.2 in Asian to 2.2 in white patients. Groups with the highest ratio had the greatest reduction in the primary outcome with empagliflozin. Inclusion of outpatient worsening HF episodes added more events in Europe versus other regions, enhanced the placebo event rates in Europe versus other regions, and increased the relative risk reduction with empagliflozin in Europe from 6% to 26%. The authors conclude that there were notable differences in the placebo event rates for major HF events across diverse regions and race-stroke-ethnic groups. The benefit of empagliflozin was most pronounced in groups with the highest ratio of HF hospitalization to cardiovascular death. Regional differences were attenuated when the definition of HF events was expanded to include outpatient worsening HF events. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Eldrin Lewis from the Stanford University School of Medicine in Palo Alto, California, USA. Lewis concludes that as we continue to understand the variations in practice across regions of the world and investigate both racial stroke ethnic differences and disparities, it is imperative not to use these differences as reasons to avoid treating patients with HF optimally. Patients with HEFREF have a variable prognosis that may depend on patients' characteristics, healthcare and social determinants, 
and treatment that modifies the course of the disease. Prognostic models have been developed to capture the overall risk of each individual patient. However, these prognostic models were developed before the implementation of recent therapies that impact HEFREF outcomes, and they do not incorporate biomarkers with strong prognostic value, e.g. N-terminal pro-B-type natriuretic peptide, or NT-pro-BMP, and high-sensitivity cardiac troponin-T, or HSCTNT. More recent prognostic models have included natriuretic peptides, but not HSCTNT, despite the importance of both biomarkers in predicting events, and they were developed before the advent of SGLT2I. Moreover, these models include a large number of clinical and laboratory variables as well as treatments, which necessarily limit their clinical implementation. In a far-track clinical research article entitled Novel Biomarker-Driven Prognostic Models to Predict Morbidity and Mortality in Chronic Heart Failure, the Emperor Reduce Trial. Stuart Pocock and colleagues from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in the United Kingdom note that the aim of their study was to generate a biomarker-driven prognostic tool for patients with chronic HEFREF. In Emperor Reduced, 33 candidate variables were pre-selected. Multivariable Cox regression models were developed using stepwise selection for 1 the primary composite outcome of HF hospitalization or cardiovascular death, two, all-cause death, and three, cardiovascular mortality. A total of 3,730 patients were followed up for a median of 16 months. 823, or 22% of patients, had a primary outcome, and 515, or 14% of patients, died, of whom 389, or 10%, died from a cardiovascular cause. NT-proBNP and HSCTNT were the dominant predictors of the primary outcome, and in addition, a shorter time since last HF hospitalization, longer time since HF diagnosis, lower systolic blood pressure, New York Heart Association or NYHA class 3 or 4, higher heart rate, and peripheral edema were key predictors. Eight variables in total, all P being less than 0.001. The primary outcome risk score discriminated well, C-statistic equaling 0.73, with patients in the top tenth of risk having an event rate greater than nine times higher than those in the bottom tenth. Empoglyphosin benefited patients across risk levels for the primary outcome. NT-proBNP and HSCTN were also the dominant predictors of all-cause and cardiovascular mortality, followed by NYHA class 3 or 4 and ischemic etiology. Four variables in total, all P being less than 0.001. The mortality risk model presented good event discrimination for all-cause and cardiovascular mortality, see statistic equaling 0.69 for both. These simple models were externally validated in the Biostat CHF study, achieving similar C-statistics. The authors conclude that the combination of NT-proBNP and HSCTNT with a small number of readily available clinical variables provides prognostic assessment for patients with HEFREF. This predictive toolkit can be easily implemented for routine clinical use.
This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Christian Muller and Desiree Wussler from the University Hospital Basel in Switzerland. The authors conclude that, as with most other innovations in clinical medicine, successful implementation of the Emperor Reduce score also depends on several factors beyond science. Therefore, it is highly appreciated that an online risk calculator is provided in the online supplement that can be incorporated into the electronic medical records of HF patients. Diuretic resistance in acute decompensated heart failure, or ADHF, is common and associated with worse outcomes. Compensatory postdiuretic sodium reabsorption, or CPDSR, is ubiquitously cited as a cause of diuretic resistance in ADHF. Concept of CPDSR asserts that kidneys decrease urinary sodium excretion to very low levels over the following hours to counterbalance the diuretic-induced natriuresis. This paradigm arose from research in uvolomic healthy volunteers and has been extrapolated to patients with ADHF. However, CPDSR has not been studied in contemporary hypervolomic ADHF populations and the failure of therapies such as loop diuretic infusion to improve decongestion raises the question if this physiology is operative in patients with ADHF. In a clinical research article entitled Compensatory Postdiuretic Renal Sodium Reabsorption is not a dominant mechanism of diuretic resistance in acute heart failure. Zachary Cox from the Lipscomb University College of Pharmacy in Nashville, Tennessee, USA and colleagues note that CPDSR is extrapolated to non-uvolomic populations as a diuretic resistance mechanism. However, its importance in acute decompensated heart failure, or ADHF, is unknown. Patients with ADHF receiving intravenous loop diuretics, 462 administrations in 285 patients, underwent supervised urine collections entailing an immediate pre-diuretic spot urine sample, then 6 hours diuretic-induced natriuresis period, an 18-hour post-diuretic period urine collections. The average spot urine sodium concentration immediately prior to diuretic administration was 64 plus or minus 33 millimoles per litre with only 4% of patients having low, less than 20 millimoles per litre, urine sodium consistent with CPDSR. Paradoxically, greater 6-hour diuretic-induced natriuresis was associated with larger 18-hour post-diuretic spontaneous natriuresis, R equaling 0.7, P being less than 0.001. Higher prediuretic urine sodium to creatinine in ratio, R equaling 0.37, P being less than 0.001, was the strongest predictor of post-diuretic spontaneous natriuresis. In a subgroup of patients, N equaling 43, randomized to protocol-driven intensified diuretic therapies, the mean diuretic-induced natriuresis increased threefold. In contrast to the substantial decrease in spontaneous natriuresis predicted by CPDSR, no change in post-diuretic spontaneous natriuresis was observed, P equaling 0.47. The authors conclude that on a population level, CPDSR was not an important driver of diuretic resistance in hypervolemic ADHF, 
Contrary to CPDSR, a greater diuretic-induced natriuresis predicted a larger post-diuretic spontaneous natriuresis. Basal sodium avidity rather than diuretic-induced CPDSR appears to be the predominant determinant of both diuretic-induced and post-diuretic natriuresis in hypervolemic ADHF. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Wilfred Moulins and colleagues from the Hasselt University in Diepenbeck, Belgium. The authors conclude that Cox and colleagues provide interesting data in the setting of AHF showing that CPDSR does not influence diuretic resistance. Furthermore, they provide the insight that in AHF patients with a poor diuretic response and positive sodium balance, the use of targeted diuretics can bolster diuretic response without inflicting CPDSR. Additional studies will need to determine which diuretic strategy, an increase in loop diuretic dose, adding acetazolamide, adding SGLT2I, adding thiazide, etc., is most appropriate in which patients. The ongoing ADVOR, acetazolamide in patients with decompensated heart failure and volume overload trial, for instance, will test the effects of azetazolamide for this purpose in AHF. Cardiac injury and remodeling are associated with the rearrangement of cardiac lipids. Glycosphingolipids are membrane lipids that are important for cellular structure and function, and cardiac dysfunction is a characteristic of rare monogenic diseases with defects in glycosphingolipid synthesis and turnover. However, it's not known how cardiac glycosphingolipids regulate cellular processes in the heart. In a translational research article entitled Glucosylceramide Synthase Deficiency in the Heart Comprises Beta-1 Adrenergic Receptor Trafficking, Linda Anderson and colleagues from the Sargrenska Academy at the University of Gothenburg and Sargrenska University Hospital in Sweden Note that the aim of this study is to determine the role of cardiac glycosphingolipids in heart function. Using human myocardial biopsies, they showed that glycosphingolipids, glucosilceramide and lactosilceramide are present in very low levels in non-ischemic human hearts with normal function and are elevated during remodeling. Similar results were observed in mouse models of cardiac remodeling. They also generated mice with cardiomyocyte-specific deficiency in UGCG, the gene encoding glucosylceramide synthase, or HUGCG knockout mice. In 9 to 10-week-old HUGCG knockout mice, contractile capacity in response to dibutamine stress was reduced. Older HUGCG knockout mice developed severe heart failure and left ventricular dilatation even under baseline conditions, and died prematurely. Using RNA sequence and cell culture models, they showed defective endolysomal retrograde trafficking and autophagy in UGCG-deficient cardiomyocytes. They also showed that responsiveness to B-adrenergic stimulation was reduced in cardiomyocytes from HUGCG knockout mice, and that UGCG knockdown suppressed the internalization and trafficking of beta-adrenergic receptors. The authors conclude that their findings suggest that cardiac glycosphingolipids are required to maintain beta-adrenergic signaling and contract our capacity in cardiomyocytes, 
and to preserve normal heart function. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Jean-Luc Balligand from the University of Louvain Medical Centre in Brussels, Belgium. The authors note that many studies have highlighted the protective role of several forms of autophagy in the face of cardiac stress and ask several questions. Would the levels of glycosphingolipids observed in cardiac muscle from ischemic patients drive autophagy at levels that protect the heart? Also, could any pharmacological intervention on the UGCG pathway be harnessed in a sufficiently precise manner to avoid deleterious effects of exaggerated autophagy? They highlight that these questions will need to be answered before the intriguing observations in the study of Anderson et al. can be translated therapeutically. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, Efficacy of the Biosync Trial, or when facts prompt a reconsideration of theories. J. Geert van Dijk, from the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands and colleagues, comment on the recent publications. Cardiac pacing in severe recurrent reflex syncope and tilt-induced asystole by Michele Brignole et al. and Effectiveness of closed-loop stimulation pacing in patients with cardio-inhibitory vasovagal reflex syncope is questionable, by Wouter Wieling et al. Two discussion forum responses have been supplied, one each by Wieling and by Brignole. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners. <laughs>